following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. How's Wednesday treating you? Y'all all right? I heard about a man and a woman that was, woke up one day and there's arguing who should go make the coffee. And the man said, I married you. I'm going to be the support, you the coffee maker. She said, the Bible don't say that. He says, how do you know? She said, there's a book in the New Testament that says Hebrews. I'm glad my wife hadn't discovered Hebrews. Are you glad to be here? The pastor was talking about Jesus telling people to love their enemies. And then he asked this unique question. He said, how many of you here have enemies that you know of? And everybody raised their hands except one little woman on the front row, Miss Watson. And uh, she's 95. And he said, let's do this again. How many have enemies? And everybody raised their hand, not her. And so he said, Mrs. Watson, he said, you don't have any enemies? She said, no, I'm 95. I've outlived them all. <laughs> Just a little story to get you started. Would you stand? You're awesome people. Hey, Casey Arnold's in the building tonight. Let's give him a hand. One of our former employees. Come on. That's so cool. He's out there with Pastor Reed, who is one of our favorite peeps of all time. And if you didn't get to sit under Pastor Reed's ministry here, you missed it. He's quite a deal. He's the real deal. He's my nephew, but I'd be bragging on him if he wasn't. But he is a Johnson. That does help. Now, tonight, I'm going to talk to you from my heart. I'm speaking on your destiny is here. Your destiny's right here. I want you to just kind of Hold your hands out and just feel the tangible, the intangible, the glorious, the invisible things of God. God is in this house. He's in this house. You know what? He was here waiting on us tonight. When you walked in, he was waiting on us. You think that I'm the greeter? No, 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 no. The Lord is the greeter. This is his house. It's dedicated to him. This is not my house. It's where we worship, but it's his house. And he was waiting on us. And I think it would be very apropos. I think it'd be very germane. If we would just absolutely, before I start speaking tonight on this subject that I feel might be a life changer for you. I wish we could just clap our hands for him and give him an ovation. Come on, come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah. And as Rod Stewart said, have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one else above you? You folks are incredible. I have enjoyed my time here. I'm going to enjoy some more of it. And I look forward to Wednesday nights. I told this church years ago when we had no music on Wednesday night, Keith would lead us in acapella singing. Keith Wilkinson, Brad's father. Then I would start teaching about 10 minutes or 15 minutes into the service because we didn't sound good a cappella. <laughs> if, you, if you want to know how good you sound, sing with the radio one day and keep singing and turn the sound down the radio. 
That's what it sounded like. You think you sound good with the radio, but no, you're really not. And I'm not either. But the bottom line is that we had acapella singing. And I told the church one night, I said, church, there'll be a night, there'll be a time when we'll have some of the finest music that this town and this city will ever know. And I did say, we'll have a choir, a 70 voice choir that will be robed and sing with everything they have. And we had that. Some of you were not here when we had that choir. We've moved on to praise and worship. We're trying to be relevant. We're trying to be current. But at the same time, I do believe with all my heart that God loves what happens at Christian Life Austin. I believe that. I believe that. So I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I want the pastor to preach to me tonight. I'm going to help him. I'm going to listen. I'm going to take notes. I'm going to act like that I'm being blessed. You may be seated. Everybody say, your destiny is here. I believe it is my calling as a pastor to bring a positive side of life to people and not linger in the negativity factor. And when I'm finished tonight, I desire you to be lifted and not in the valley of Baca or the valley of tears. I was raised to enjoy Western movies. John Wayne, Gene Autry, Roy Rogers, thank you Lord for the rain. The Lone Ranger, Paladin, How Gun Will Travel, Walker, Texas Ranger. And I read that the most watched made-for-TV movie ever was the Western called Crossfire Trail. And in the story, the hero travels hundreds of miles to keep his promise to a dying friend. The main bad guy in the film laments that his plans are being destroyed by the hero's arrival and then he states this, what kind of dinosaur upends his whole life to keep his promise to a dying man? Keeping promises, folks, creates heroes. Let me say it again. Keeping promises creates heroes. The cost is promise keeping. The cost is learning how to forgive. The cost is worship. Are there any promise keepers listening today in the house? Come on, raise your hand. Amen. Not promise makers, but promise keepers. In Lonesome Dove, one of my favorite movies ever, one Texas ranger makes a vow to another that he will bury him in Texas no matter where he dies. And riding across the country on horseback, he completes a three-month pilgrimage to get Ranger Gus back to Lonesome Dove. He was a promise keeper. David in the Bible was called in Acts 13, 22, a man after God's own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Boy, wouldn't that be a nice moniker for the Lord to put on all of us? Some say it was because he had a repentant heart, and he did. Some declare it was his soul's desire to be in church, and it was. Some say it was a forgiving spirit, and he had it. Some say it was his worship, and he had that also. All the above things I've listed are true. Yet David was like God in that he was a covenant keeper. Say covenant keeper. His word was his bond. Let me introduce this story. David's life could not be better. He had just been crowned. The throne room smelled fresh. 
He was already building the city of Jerusalem up. The ark was home. The glory of God representative was home. Gold and silver overflowed in the king's coffers. And the enemy was keeping their distance because David, King David, was feared. Because, you know, after all, he took down a big old boy in the valley of Elah called Goliath. And the days of ducking Saul were just a memory. But in his memory, David remembers a promise he made to Saul's son, Jonathan, one of his best friends. When Saul had threatened to kill David, Jonathan fought to save David. And Jonathan succeeded and then asked David to show kindness to him if he died. Jonathan wanted David to show loving kindness to his family, 1 Samuel 20, to never cut off kindness. And Jonathan did die, but David's promise did not die. To David, a covenant was no small matter. And when you catalog all the things David did well, the word promise survives the cut and makes the short list in David's life. May I speak a little bit about present day? Perhaps husband and wife, and perhaps a husband is the husband of a depressed wife. You know the challenges of a problem as she stumbles through the gloomy fog. You wonder what happened to the girl you married. Can you keep a promise in a time like that? Perhaps a wife of a husband that stepped out on her. He's back. He's sorry. She's hurt. She wonders. He broke his promise. So do I keep mine. Parents of prodigals. Parents of runaways. Parents of handicapped kids that strap us down. Even parents of healthy toddlers. The honeymoon is over. Now the quiet evenings are buried beneath a mountain of dirty diapers and short nights. And by the way, dirty diapers smell worse at night. Enter Mephibosheth. Advisors summon Ziba, who was a former servant of Saul. And the question they asked is, did he know of a surviving member of Saul's household? I want you to take a good look at Ziba's answer. He said, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame on his feet, 2 Samuel 9. Ziba does not mention a name, just that he is a lame young man. There's kind of a disclaimer in his voice. Be careful, David. He isn't how you would say it suited for the palace. You might think twice about what you're fixing to do, keeping this promise. When Mephibosheth was five, his father, two uncles and grandfather died, three sons of Saul and Saul, at the hands of the Philistines. And knowing the Philistines' brutality, the family of Saul headed for the hills. And as the nurse picked up Mephibosheth and ran out, she tripped and dropped the boy, breaking both his ankles and leaving him incurably lame the rest of his life. The servants carried him to Lodabar. Lodabar means without pasture a windblown tumbleweed desert. Mephibosheth hid there and he was fearful of the Philistines and he was fearful of David. Plus he was victimized and ostracized and disabled and so uncultured. And David sent, and the Bible used the word fetched him. David said, go fetch him. In other words, don't give him an option, get him here, bring him to the house. They took him out of Makar's house and he's brought to the palace and fearfully he comes in because he knows what he's fixing to face. He's going to face the sword of the new king because that was the way they ruled in the Old Testament. 
when a king was taken out, the whole family had to die. And Mephibosheth knew what was happening. He was brought to the palace and fearfully he entered and David immediately, God, this is so tough, restores everything that Saul had given to that grandson. And the palace at the king's table and a place at the king's table and restores him all his land and all his money. And faster than you can say Mephibosheth twice, he gets promoted from Lodabar to a king's palace. From here to here. Can I tell you, that's how David did it. The God that I'm preaching about created that David. And the God I'm preaching about caused that David to do that. If David can do that that quickly with Mephibosheth, what can he do with people in this house tonight? Come on. Some of you have come in tired and weary and broken and hurt and discouraged and disheveled. But I'm here to declare to you, God can right now do something in your life and take you from a dry place to the king's palace, to the king's table. Don't ever underestimate the severity and the swiftness of God. Goodbye, obscurity. Hello, royalty and reality. David, could you could have sent money to Lodabar, a lifelong annuity would have generously fulfilled his promise. But David gave Mephibosheth more than a pension. He gave him a palace and a place at the royal table. The kid who had no legs to stand on now has everything to live for. That quick. Why? Because he impressed David? Because he convinced David? Because he coerced David? No. Mephibosheth did nothing. A promise prompted David. The king was kind, not because the man was deserving, but because the promise was enduring. I think we ought to give up a hand clap for the promises of God. There's over 7,000 of them in the Bible and all of them are yea and amen. Come on, clap your hands, clap your hands. Sometimes we don't understand the powerful promises of Almighty God, and they're for every one of us. Can you understand that? Oh, but I'm disqualified because I don't believe in God. I'm disqualified. It's my first time here. I'm disqualified because I'm not a part of this church. No, you're not disqualified. That's why we have church on Wednesdays and Sundays to tell people just like you, get yourself ready. God's got some promises for you, and he's fixing to drop them on you if you'll just open your heart and receive them. Now fast forward 15 years. David's son Absalom rebels. And David is forced to leave Jerusalem to advocate his throne. And Ziba, his servant, leaves with David. And David tells, Ziba tells David that Mephibosheth sided with the enemy. He sided with Absalom. And after Absalom dies, David returns to Jerusalem. And Mephibosheth gives David another version of the story. It's a beautiful story. Both of them did to David. He said, Ziba left him behind and he was not able to go on two bad feet. Question, who was telling the truth? David never asked. You know why? It didn't matter. His place at the palace did not depend on his behavior. 
but on David's, David's promise. See, what you don't understand about this God thing, you don't have to get good to get him. You just have to say, help, 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 help. you. Come on, help me preach right now. Why was David so loyal? And how at this time is David so giving? David, where'd you get that kind of resolve? David would say, my story is about God's story. The Lord is a covenant keeping God. Deuteronomy 7 said, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. A thousand generations. He just never stops. God makes and never breaks his promises. The Hebrew word for covenant is bereth. It's a solemn agreement with binding force. And when God says it's so, it is so. Two things you must know. His promises are yea and amen. And secondly, it is impossible for God to lie. You tell one every now and then, don't you? I've told a few in my life. And if I told you I didn't, that'd be a lie. I've told a few in my life. Mom and daddy have not whipped me because I lied a few times in my life. But I came back around about 15 years later, told mama, you remember that night? I didn't, I, I didn't tell the truth that night. She said, you're too big to whip now, but God's going to get you. That's my mama's story. His promises run a tapestry through the whole word. Noah, Noah, here's a rainbow. I'll never again destroy the world by water. Astronauts have said from outer space, the rainbows they see make a complete circle. God keeps his word. He put a bow in the cloud. Genesis 15, Abraham can tell you about promises. God said counting stars and counting descendants would be an equal challenge, Abraham. To secure the oath, God had Abraham cut several animals in half. And in the ancient East, the promise maker passed between the divided animals' carcasses in a figure eight, a new beginning, saying, I will meet the same fate if I break my word. God takes promises seriously and seals them dramatically. Consider Hosea. Many people hadn't read about him. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God commanded Hosea to marry a prostitute named Gomer. A prostitute. If her profession doesn't get you, her name will. Gomer. If your name is Gomer and you're a woman, I'll go to the court and help you change it. <laughs> Hosea obeyed. He obeyed. Gomer gave birth to three children, none of whom were Hosea's. Gomer abandoned Hosea for the equivalent life of a stripper at a nightclub. Rock bottom for her came in the form of an auction pit where men bid on her as a slave. Lesser men would have waved her off, but not Hosea. He jumped into the bidding and bought his wife back and took her home again. Why? Here's his explanation. He said, God ordered me to buy her back as an example of the way God loves his people. Let me just tell you, you can't go too far that God won't buy you back. You can't go too far that he won't come and rescue you. If you take the wings of morning, if you make your bed in hell, he's going to find you. Would somebody help me preach right now? I'm talking about a covenant making God. 
Need picture of a promise keeping God? Look at Hosea's auction bid. Look at Abraham's smoldering pot passing between the animals. Look at Noah's rainbow. Look at Mephibosheth. Or in the morning or tonight, look in the mirror. We've all born children of the king. But we have been left hobbling because of the stumble of Adam and Eve in the garden. And so we have meandered along in the dry sands of Lodabar. But then came the palace messenger. I don't know who, who found you. Perhaps a teacher. Perhaps a work buddy. An uncle. A preacher. A child. They came with the news. Hey, you're not going to believe this, but the king has a place for you at the table. Place card is printed. Chair is empty. He wants you and his family. And you say, is it because of my IQ? Is it because of my money, my retirement account, my skills, my good work? Sorry, it don't work. This invitation has nothing to do with who you are. It has everything to do with who God is. God is a covenant keeper. I'm overwhelmed with him tonight. Folks, when I preach like this about him, I get overwhelmed. He is awesome. When I write stuff like this, I get overwhelmed. I have to take whole hallelujah breaks. <laughs> I do. G. Campbell Morgan was approached by a miner, M-I-N-E-R, who said he had trouble believing that it's so easy to receive forgiveness. It's so cheap, he said. It's too cheap. Dr. Morgan asked him if he worked in the mine today, and the man said, yes, sir, I did. And he said, sir, how'd you get out of the pit? And the man said, the way I usually do. I got in the cage and they pulled me out. How much did you have to pay to come out of the pit? And the man said, well, nothing. Morgan asked, weren't you afraid to trust a cage you paid nothing for? Oh, no, it wasn't cheap. He said, it cost the company a lot of money to sink that shaft. It was then the man saw the light and realized it had cost the Lord a great deal to bring him the grace that he did. A man ordered breakfast in a restaurant in the south and when the breakfast came, grits were on the plate. And the man turned to the waitress and said, ma'am, I didn't order grits. She smiled and said, you didn't have to. It comes with the meal in the south. You're gonna get grits. If you don't like them, just push them aside and we'll give them to somebody else. Hey, grace must come with the church in God's kingdom. It's just a part of the deal. Wouldn't you hate to walk in here and just think that I would preach some kind of dead thing and just say, go on and I trust everything's all right, everything works out in your life. Aren't you glad that somebody died for us on a cross? And gave us grace? Grace. God's reach at Christ's expense. Grace, grace. Just grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see grace, 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 grace. Oh, I told you Mephibosheth didn't do anything. That's not entirely the case. I didn't lie to you. I just didn't tell all the story. He did do one thing noteworthy. Samuel 9 and 6 said, when Mephibosheth was come to David the king, the promise keeper, the man who would change his life, he fell on his face and did reverence. In other words, he worshiped the king, David. He worshiped him. He worshiped the promise keeper. 
And when he did, King David called him. You ready for this? He called him Mephibosheth. Say it with me, Mephibosheth. That name means the reproach has been taken away. Eradication or extermination of all shame. Jonathan, his father, had given his son that name to take away the reproach of his father Saul because Saul had messed up so badly. Tune in now, I'm about finished. You do not have to raise your hand like your mom and dad, raise your family like mom and dad raised you. The devil has told you that if your dad was an alcoholic, you'll be an alcoholic too. If your dad or mom did drugs, you'll do drugs also. That's a lie. That's a lie. Your family can be a family that takes away the reproach. And worship does not need to be a hardship in your life. And now David calls the crippled prince by the same birth name. The king did not call the worshiper a crippled prince, but he called him Mephibosheth. The reproach has been taken away. The Lord calls his worshipers by name. We have a family name, the princely name you were born with. God keeps his promises, say amen. amen. God loves unconditionally, say amen. amen. We must do the same, say amen. amen. And we must be worshipers. Amen. I think sometimes in the summertime, you know, worship can be kind of quieted down because it's just, you know, it's so hot outside. Lord, it's going to be 110 tomorrow and it's just 108 today. It's going to be 110. And now all of a sudden we're starting to feel a little break in the weather and we're getting rain. Hallelujah. But I, I, I think tonight when we end this service, I think we ought to stand on our feet and I think we ought to open our voices. I don't think I need to be trying to pull it out of you. I think we ought to open our voices. And I think we ought to say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your healing power. Thank you because you loved me first. Thank you because while I was yet sinner, you died for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I think we need to get back into the track of being true worshipers. If any man be a worshiper, him God heareth. If you want God to hear you, you need to get into the duty of being a worshiper in the house of God. And when you get up in the morning, you need to be a worshiper. When you go to bed at night, you need to be a worshiper. Amen. Wouldn't that be cool if you was on your side of the bedroom, your wife on the other side, Woo, hallelujah. And your wife said, God, what got a hold of you? And he said, well, just a little leftover from church tonight. Wouldn't that be all right? That sounds better than a cuss word, doesn't it? Hallelujah sounds better than some of them other words. Boy, I feel like preaching tonight, folks. John 4 said, the hour comes and now is. Randy, if you'll help me, when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I can't look at Calvary and not be a worshiper. I can't see his promises to me and not praise him. Mephibosheth had so much baggage, so much past, so much fear, so much doubt, yet he 
reverenced and worshiped the King David. Some things you may never be free of in this life. You may never shake them. I'll never shake a bald head. It'll always go with me. I hope you like me with it because this is also it's what it's going to be, okay? It's, it's it. <laughs> I tell my wife at times, baby, you tired of this yet? She said, no, no, no. I said, good. Don't ever get tired of this because it ain't going away. There's some things that we're not going to be able to change in our life. The least thing you can do, even if you've got some things that you may not get over completely, the least you can do is be a worshiper. Come on, get your hands in the air. Be a worshiper. Be a worshiper. All you folks listening by line, listening online tonight, I want you to kind of lean up in your chairs and lean up on the couch and put away your Cheetos and your sandwich. I'm serious. I love you. I know what you're doing. I've got a buddy down in San Marcos that he's got his pajamas on right now listening to me. That's not a good thing in my mind. You understand that. But a God of promise deserves our best praise. God's been good to us, hasn't he? A Savior who kept his promise to us deserves promise keepers. And one who has forgiven all of us to his kingdom deserves people who know how to forgive one another. A healer, a Savior, a Redeemer, a King in our lives deserves all of our worship. If David got that kind of praise from a man to a man, what kind of worship and praise should we give to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Come on now. Would you stand all over the house? I don't want anybody, anybody making a move to the door. I will, I will not get mad, but I will not, but I will not like it. Don't you leave, don't you leave. We're gonna do something here tonight. I don't want for a moment to intend to minimize the challenges some of you are facing in your life. Poet Langston Hughes said, life for me ain't been no crystal stair. It has tacks in it. It has boards and splinters. It has tacks in it and splinters and boards torn up bare. Marriages everywhere are being attacked. But looking back, you made a promise. You need to keep it. Why, you say? So you can understand the depth of God's love. He has kept his promises with us. Keep the porch light on for the prodigals. Promise keeping enrolls you in the post-grad school of God's love. <laughs> I have a dear friend who went to visit his wife just about every day in a rest home, and she was a victim of Alzheimer's and dementia. She never knew when he was there and when he left. And one day the nurse at the nurse's station gave him a pass. Said, your wife will never know the difference. She's at rest, well taken care of. Go on and live life. It's all right. He turned to her and he said, she may not know I was here, but I will know. I made a promise. I will die keeping that promise. You know, there, there are times when you get through preaching, you just like to go put your head in the corner 
not because you're embarrassed how you preached. I'm not embarrassed if anything I preached tonight. But just the fact that God's presence is so, so amazing in this house tonight. I'm not trying to pump you up. I'm trying to tell you that he kind of loves what's going on around this place. He honors this pastor. He honors this staff. He honors your presence. He loves the fact that church is not a, well, let's just go to church tonight, nothing else to do, but church is a priority in your life. God loves that. That's not everywhere in America. It's not everywhere around the world, but God loves people that put church as a priority in their life. And I want us to lift our hands tonight all over the building. And I don't know what they're going to sing. It don't even matter. It really doesn't. But I want you to get a glimpse of the cross one more time in your life and, and understand how much He loves us and how far He went to save us and how great it is to be in His house tonight. Oh yeah, we built it, but unless the Lord build the house, they that labor to build it, build in vain. We didn't build this for us, we built it for Him. And it's His, and we honor Him tonight. So in the next two or three minutes, why don't you just lift your hands and let the music touch your soul. And let's just lift our hands all over this house and let's just thank Him for His promise-keeping power to our lives. Come on, He's a promise-keeper. He's a promise-keeper. Let's lift our hands. Come on, open your mouth.